Before we dive into today's episode, I want to tell you about a free three-act worksheet to help you structure your story. Whether you're a plotter or a pantser, a novelist or short fiction writer, this three-act worksheet will help you navigate your material and even begin each new story with a better plan. Download yours at nancypinuccio.com forward slash act. Stop getting stuck in the middle of your draft. Go grab this free worksheet, nancypinuccio.com forward slash act. When you give your protagonist either a psychological flaw or even a moral flaw, it makes your character far more likable and fascinating. We don't like perfect heroes. We don't relate to perfect. Writer Unleashed is for you, a writer who has a story you want to bring onto the page and into the hearts and minds of readers. I'm Nancy Pinuccio, writer, editor, and writing coach. And each week, we'll explore techniques, mindsets, and inspiration for writing stories readers can't put down. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let's begin. How do you write a story that stands out from the pile of other stories on an agent's or publisher's desk, especially when you're using structures that every other writer uses? The hero's journey, the three-act structure, save the cat. The thing is, these structures alone won't give you a page-turning story. We want to take our readers on a ride. It's The difference between walking on a flat field and skiing down a winding mountain. So we want to take the readers on a ride, and we can't do that by imposing the same templates that every other new writer uses. Your reader craves speed and intensity and momentum. They want to stay on the ride. Now, you can use all the structure beats you want, but if you don't have the underlying techniques that make those structures work, if you don't hit those story beats in new and surprising ways, then you're going to kick your reader off the ride. In today's episode, we're going to talk about four story techniques to drive your plot's momentum so that you can write a page turner. Now, before we dive in, let's talk about these popular story structures you may be using. Some writers use the three-act structure or the five-act structure. There's the hero's journey. There's save the cat. And look, there's value in all of these. And they're great when you're beginning, but these structures are just training wheels. Ultimately, these structure methods are going to hold you back if you don't understand the techniques that make them work. And the thing is, everybody uses these. So the risk is that these kinds of stories are just sameies, which means all these stories are boring. There's no surprises. It's a flat slog through flat land. For example, the hero's journey is not a structure that works for all stories. It's basically a myth warrior story. 
you don't want to impose templates on your stories. Because if you do, you're writing an off-the-shelf story that doesn't work. That's the risk. For example, Save the Cat. It has about 15 beats to hit. There are these 15 moments of change. It's very formulaic. Again, it's a great start, but here's the thing. The beats don't give you the techniques that make it a compelling and believable story. You want to set your story apart from everyone else's. You want to tell your story the way only you can. That means you need to learn the techniques underneath those structures. It's not just about hitting story beats. It's about spinning them in original surprising turns and twists that no one's done before. But whether you've already written your draft or you're just starting, you need to go deeper. You want to create narrative momentum. This is what keeps the reader eager to keep turning the page. The techniques that create momentum work regardless of what genre you're writing. These techniques work with fantasy novels or romance, memoir. They work with literary fiction and short stories. The thing that propels your story forward is your main character's desire. Doug Glover calls the novel an engine of desire. I think all great stories are an engine of desire. Your protagonist will pursue this desire ardently. It's this desire that propels the story forward. It gives your story the momentum. So technique number one, character desire. It's what the protagonist, your hero, wants in the story and goes after with intensity and pursues obsessively. The implicit question urging us forward is, will he or she get what she wants or not? Now, your character doesn't have to get what they want, but your character's desire is what you hang every other story element on. Every image, every other choice you make will come off of that desire. Now, the desire needs to be particular and specific. It helps for you to articulate your character's desire in simple, concrete terms. So, for example, Humbert wants Lolita. Anna Karenina wants to be with Vronsky. In Hemingway's The Old Man in the Sea, Santiago wants to catch a big fish. Ideally, you want to have your protagonist state their desire close to the beginning of your story. For example, we know from the beginning of Neil Gaiman's fantasy novel what Shadow wants to do when he gets released from prison. He states it on the second page. First, he was going to take a bath, a real long, serious soak in a tub with bubbles in it. Maybe read the paper, maybe not. Second, he was going to towel himself off, put on a robe, maybe slippers. He liked the idea of slippers. He would pick up his wife in his arms. He would carry her into the bedroom and close the door. They'd call out for pizza if they got hungry. Third, after he and Laura had come out of the bedroom, maybe a couple of days later, he was going to keep his head down 
and stay out of trouble for the rest of his life. So his desire is very specific. It's very particular to his situation. Now, once we know what your character specifically wants to achieve, we get invested in it. The screenwriter, John Truby, calls this the desire line. He thinks of the desire line like the train tracks of your story, and it's what gets readers on board the thrill line. So number one, have your character state their desire close to the beginning of the story. So the desire can be simple. What your character wants doesn't have to be grand or complex or epic. He or she just needs to want it and pursue that desire despite obstacles. What's more important for you to understand as the author is why your character wants it. What's the unconscious drive? This is beneath the surface of the story. You need to know why this desire matters to your protagonist. In your beginning, you don't need to get into the why, but you do need to get into the what. When you get that concrete desire early in your story, the reader then gets on the train with your protagonist. So let's move on to technique number two, fatal flaw. A common mistake that many new writers make when it comes to character development is making a list of traits and characteristics. So they might focus a lot on what the protagonist looks like and how to describe the character, how to describe their eyes or their hair or their skin color, what job they have, how much money they make or don't make, how they dress, their favorite color, etc. Now, these are all superficial and they have no impact on the reader's connection to your character. What makes a character interesting, what makes us connect to your protagonist is that they feel like real flawed human beings. We can identify with flawed characters. So give your protagonist at least one major flaw. It's got to be a flaw that's going to hold them back from reaching their desired goal. A flaw that's not just holding them back from reaching their specific goal, but holding them back in life. Even the best of us, even the most successful of us have fatal flaws. There's always something holding us back from self-actualizing. We root for a protagonist who's ill-equipped to get what he or she wants. And this creates an open story loop. And we read to the end to find out if your protagonist will succeed. But underneath it all, no matter what your protagonist wants on the surface or why, underneath all that, he or she wants to realize their fullest potential, despite their flaws. So establish at least one fatal flaw before you establish what your character wants. When you give your protagonist either a psychological flaw or even a moral flaw, it makes your character far more likable and fascinating. We don't like perfect heroes. We don't relate to perfect. And we don't necessarily have to like your main character. 
We don't have to agree with how they go after what they want. We just need to understand them. We just need to recognize some part of ourselves in them. They have to feel like real human beings. We need to understand them. We need to connect with their humanity. Santiago's major psychological flaw is this excessive pride and this obsessive need to prove to himself that although he's older now, he's still virile and masculine. He needs to prove to himself that he still has what it takes to catch the largest fish of his life. Now, we admire his fortitude. We admire his persistence. But ultimately, those qualities are his downfall. Anna Karenina has this distorted view of true love. It's informed by the romance novels she reads. This causes her to make disastrous choices. Her longing for true love is so overpowering, she's willing to lose custody of her son. Lolita's Humbert has many psychological flaws. He has this delusional fascination with Lolita that's set up right away in the very first sentence. Lolita, light of my life, fire of my loins, my sin, my soul, Lolita, the tip of the tongue, taking a trip of three steps down the palate to tap at three on the teeth, Lolita. His obsession with her only intensifies and consumes him as the novel continues. He never confronts the morality of his actions until the end, and he refuses to acknowledge that Lolita doesn't even share his feelings. He becomes more and more controlling of her and less and less in control of himself. And this leads to tragic circumstances for everyone involved. So number one, specific desire. Number two, at least one fatal flaw, one fatal psychological or moral flaw. And you want to introduce this flaw before you get to what they want. These are the two most important things you need to get in your beginning pages for us to care about your character and become invested in the story. If you get both these things in your story beginning, you hook your reader right away. Technique number three, character complexity. We never want to create a flat character. We want dimension, contradiction. We want texture. You want to complicate the reader's reaction. This goes for your protagonist, and it also goes for your antagonist. If we have a stock character, whether it's the hero or his opponent, you've just yanked us off the thrill ride because we don't want a stock reaction. We can get that from tuning into any rom-com on Netflix. So like we said, one way to create complexity is to give your protagonist fatal flaws. Maybe they have crippling anxiety or their morals are questionable. But we also need something to root for. This is true for your protagonist and your antagonist, and we'll get to your antagonist in a minute. But when you complicate your reader's reaction, they actively participate in your story and they become implicated in what happens. For example, 
Humbert is completely immoral, but he uses language to seduce us. He almost succeeds in making himself a sympathetic character, even while we abhor what he does. He's critical of American pop culture, and he uses language skillfully to establish himself as an intellectual. He's self-mocking, but he uses elevated and seductive language to divert our attention from the abhorrent acts he describes. His skill with language makes him a persuasive narrator. Sometimes he's even able to convince us to see his perspective. So the combination of his elegant appearance, the intellectual way he thinks, his European roots, his ability to seduce adult women around him, these are all contradictory. So he's not your garden variety pedophile. Now, I don't like Humbert, let me be clear, but there are moments where I do find him entertaining. There are moments where I'm seduced by him and even sympathize with him, especially at the end. And Lolita is not your stock victim. She's precocious. She's manipulative. She's aware of her erotic power and she exploits Humbert's feelings for her, but she's still a victim. She uses the only power she has in this situation, but she's far from your stock victim. My mentor, David Jouse, once said, and I'm paraphrasing, that contradiction is when two opposing feelings, ideas, or qualities occupy the same space, and both are true. It's a powerful way to keep your reader invested in your story and to keep turning the page. So complicate the reaction. And story technique number four, opposition. Look, if nothing's standing in the way of your character's goal, you don't have a story. So we're talking about your antagonist here. Your antagonist interferes with your protagonist getting what he or she wants. Lolita withholds the love Humbert wants. He never gets it. And this creates ongoing tension. It builds the conflict. So you want opposition to be present for the entire story. Opposition is most commonly another character, but opposition could also be other interferences. It could be weather. For Santiago, his main opponent is really nature. For Cheryl Strayed in her memoir, Wild, The main opponent is not another character. It's the Pacific Crest Trail that she hikes alone. But let's say your main opponent is another character. One common misstep is creating a one-note villain. Now, I like to think in terms of no villain at all. I keep coming back to what Tolstoy said that great stories aren't about good versus bad, but good versus good. Great stories aren't about good versus bad, but good versus good. So you don't want to oversimplify your antagonist. It's just one more plot requirement. You want to develop your opponent as deeply as you develop your protagonist. 
Because the relationship between your protagonist and his antagonist is the most important relationship in the story. Even if what they do is unconscionable or even violent, as the murderer in Andre Debus's story, The Killings. So to complicate our reaction and keep us invested in your story, you need to know your opponent's desires, deepest fears, vulnerabilities, motivations, etc. You have to show at least some chink in the armor, some glimpse of their humanity. I'm thinking of a character in The Walking Dead, Negan. Now, around season seven, he kills one of the main characters, Glenn. This is a character everyone just loved. And he kills him in the most horrific, violent way. It's really hard to watch. Now, this man, by all appearances, is evil and scary as they come. He's terrifying. But by the end of season 10, I found myself feeling sorry for Negan and even liking him. For one, he's very charismatic, but he also had a very cleverly and fearlessly orchestrated killing one of the most chilling and dangerous villains in the series, thus saving the surviving main characters. Also, they showed his backstory from the beginning of the apocalypse, his wife's cancer and ultimate suicide when he couldn't return with the chemo he went on the hunt for because he was seized by some other people. Now, I understood his rage and I understood his grief. I felt great sympathy for him. I'm still horrified by what he did, but I can hold space for both. So as a viewer, I find this kind of complicated reaction irresistible. So the antagonist must be real, complex, and smart. Even if what they do is inherently evil, there should be some worldview or logic or motivation at the core. What makes an antagonist an antagonist is not that he's evil or bad necessarily, but that he or she interferes with your protagonist getting what he or she wants. Anna Karenina's main opponent is her husband. He's not a bad guy. He's emotionally cold, which is a flaw, but he's pretty noble. He's a well-respected man. He requests that she stay with him simply to maintain the outward appearance that they have an intact marriage and happy family. He does not want to grant her a divorce and tells her if they do get a divorce, she'll lose custody of her son. Lolita opposes Humbert. She gives him sexual favors, but withholds what he truly wants from her, love. But there are also all the adults and institutions around them that if they were to find out Humbert's secret, what was really going on, they would have Humbert arrested. So you want to set up this heavyweight battle between two opponents that are equal to each other. And by a battle, I don't mean it has to be a physical battle. It could be a battle of wits. It could be a battle of ideologies. So a heavyweight between two opponents that are equal to each other, Negan and Rick Grimes, Santiago and the Sharks, Lolita and Humbert. Lolita is not this sweet, innocent kid. She's manipulative. She's provocative. She exploits his feelings for her. 
She's precocious, and she ultimately escapes from Humbert. So the antagonist, the one who's interfering with your protagonist, is a worthy opponent. So when creating your main opponent, your antagonist, you want to know him or her intimately, just as intimately as you know your protagonist. Your opponent can be a better human being than your protagonist. He or she is just on the other side of the goal. He might be competing for the same goal or an opposite goal. So there's a necessary opposition. They have to fight. So number one, we have character desire. Number two, fatal flaw. Number three, character complexity. And number four, opposition. So let's see how all of this comes together in your plot. Well, your plot is a sequence where all of these elements are connected, mostly under the surface, but they're connected. But here's where many writers get off track. They think of plot as the sequence of events the protagonist takes to go after his or her goal. This happens, and this happens, and so on. So there's a cause and effect. But I love what the screenwriter John Truby says about plot. Plot, he says, is a sequence of actions covering the entire story that the opponent comes up with to put the hero in the greatest amount of trouble. Plot is a sequence of actions covering the entire story that the opponent comes up with to put the hero in the greatest amount of trouble. Because what causes what happens next? It's the antagonist, the main opponent. Now, I love this technique. When you approach plot from the opponent's side, when you come up with a sequence of actions, the antagonist or antagonists will take to thwart your protagonist, you're halfway there. The protagonist is going after his goal and discovering these various things that the opponent is doing to try to stop him from getting the goal. And your protagonist is reacting to it. Your readers, along with your protagonist, realize the move of the opponent. So there's this problem, and now your protagonist has to deal with it. The antagonist forces your protagonist to deal with his or her weaknesses, to rise above them, to transform. For example, in Lolita, Humbert doesn't get what he wants, Lolita's love and respect. But in the words of Mick Jagger, he gets what he needs. Her resistance, her withholding from Humbert what he wants most from her, it finally forces him to admit to himself that he robbed her of her childhood. So the relationship between your protagonist and antagonist is the most important relationship because plot is made up of the back and forth as each one gets the upper hand. Think of a chess match or a pro tennis match. You have two equally matched opponents and each raises their game. This is true in any sport. So you want to make your antagonist as complex as your protagonist 
super important, and come up with a sequence of actions that the opponent will take to impede your protagonist from reaching his or her goal. Now you have your main opponent, but there could be a matrix of opposition. For example, in Revolutionary Road, April and Frank Wheeler are both co-protagonists and each other's antagonist. They both want the same thing, to escape the monotony of their lives. But Frank is more realistic and pragmatic than his wife, and he's more conflicted. He craves the status and stability of his job, even though he hates the grind. His wife is more unrealistic and given to fantasy. She's also more desperate. But there's also this circle of people around them who are lulled by complacency. They've bought into this American dream, and they don't have the pluck to upset their own complacency. And then one of their friend's sons comes to visit, who's on furlough from a mental institution. And even though he's only in the novel for two scenes, towards the end, he's a truth teller. He has no filter. He sees through the Wheeler's facade, and this is where all hell breaks loose for this marriage which was already in trouble. So there's this culture of opposition in addition to the main battle between husband and wife. In The Old Man and the Sea, you could say the Marlin is Santiago's main opponent. I mean, he spends three days slowly reeling him in as the Marlin circles the skiff. Santiago nearly passes out from exhaustion, but he does find enough strength to harpoon the marlin through the heart. So he sails back with the marlin tied to his boat, but then sharks follow the marlin's blood trail and eat it. And by the time Santiago arrives on shore, the marlin is a skeleton. So there's like a matrix of opposition and it puts pressure on him to deal and face his weaknesses. So the opponent forces the protagonist to face his or her weaknesses. Your main character either solves that weakness or fails. Okay, so let's wrap this up. Common story structures like the three-act structure, the hero's journey, and save the cat will only take you so far. It's far more important to cultivate story techniques that make these structures work, that make your story completely your own and not a carbon copy of every other story out there. Plot is a sequence where all of these elements are connected, mostly under the surface. Technique number one, character desire. This is what fuels your story's momentum from start to finish. Get this desire in as early as possible in your beginning. Make it specific, make it concrete. By the end of the story, your protagonist will get what he or she wants or not. Technique number two, fatal flaw. We want real human beings, not perfect heroes. Give your protagonist at least one fatal flaw and dramatize it before you tell us what their main desire is. Technique number three, character complexity. She's this, but she's also that. When you complicate our reaction, we're implicated in what happens. We become part of the story. This is a great way to create an insatiable reader. 
Technique number four, opposition. You want to maintain opposition throughout the entire story. The relationship between your protagonist and his or her opponent is the most important relationship in the story because plot is made up of the back and forth as each one gets the upper hand. So you want to know your antagonist as deeply as you know your story's hero. Make him or her complex and smart. A bonus tip from screenwriter John Truby is to approach plot from the opponent's side. Come up with a sequence of actions the antagonist will take to thwart your protagonist from getting what he or she wants. Now, to help you practice these techniques, I have a free three-act worksheet that helps you brainstorm the elements we talked about in this episode. To download yours, head on over to nancypinuccio.com forward slash act. Nancy with an I, Pinuccio with two C's, nancypinuccio.com forward slash act. I'll link in the show notes. I'll see you next time. Till then, keep writing and I'll talk to you soon.